0: You are listening to Badass Lady Folk, a podcast about socially engaged women and MBFEMs kicking buns big and small. I'm your host, Christine Sloan Stoddard. That badass intro music came from the song Talking Hands by Toxic Moxie. As I mentioned the last couple of episodes, and will continue to mention for the next few more, is that this is a reboot of my radio-free Brooklyn show, The Badass Lady Folk of Brooklyn. Now, Quail Bell Press and Productions is producing the podcast for and about incredible women and non-binary femmes from around the world. This episode is a pre-recorded conversation with fellow female photographers Natalie Bravo-Barbie, and Sean Inglima. We've recorded this as a Zoom panel to touch on the themes in my book, Heaven is a Photograph, a poetry and photography collection about an art student who finds her power behind the lens. During the conversation, I'll reference the video description, but know that these same links are available in the podcast show notes for this episode. Hello, my name is Christine Sloan Stoddard, and I'm the author of Heaven is a Photograph, a poetry and photography book about an art student who finds her power behind the lens. Released by Clash Books, this full-colored collection is available directly from the publisher's website, Amazon, Barnes and Noble, and really wherever books are sold. I will drop the links in the video description so you can find them all there. And in this video, I'm joined by two guests, fellow female photographers based in New York City and we'll be discussing our experiences and observations as women working with photography. Hi, Natalie and Sean. Hello. (laughs) Let me read my guests brief bios before we get started on the conversation. Natalie Sabina Bravo Barbie creates works at the boundary of photography and sculpture. Bravo Barbie has been f- photographing her world since the age of 15, incorporating alternative processes such as cyanotype into her practice. The artist's practice uncovers lived memories of her family's flight from Argentina while simultaneously investigating post-colonial and feminist topics. Sean Inglema, a photographer in New York City is a storyteller at best whether it be through photojournalism or wedding photography, she encapsulates memories to be shared for years to come. Within the past nine years, Inglima utilizes her female touch of compassion to bond with her subjects before telling their personal stories. So now we'll shift to the conversation. My book, Heaven is a Photograph, follows a fictional character, a young female photographer whose father is a war photographer, uh, strict photojournalist. Uh, this student makes a difficult choice to study art photography, despite her father's objections, and encounters challenges as she photoshops pictures of women, navigates the gallery and magazine worlds, and more. So Natalie and Sean, I'm told that these Uh, experiences from this fictional art student are pretty common. I know that I've encountered some of the same things. I wrote her character with a lot of my own experiences in mind. I would love first for you to just describe your own practice as a photographer, what kind of educational, uh, commercial, photojournalistic, whatever kind of experience you want to mention.
1: Who will speak first? (laughs) I guess I will since I already did. (laughs) Um, My background is, I want to say, is comprised of um, education, like taking photography classes in high school, that's really where it all started, and then I majored in visual journalism at Penn State University, um, focusing primarily on photojournalism. I could not Ma- also, major in photography because it was in its own separate school, and they wouldn't let me combine the two. Um, it was an
0: art program. It was a visual art program, or uh, it was something else.
1: Yeah. Like okay. I was in a school of communication, and photography was in the school of arts. Um, okay, so that's why I couldn't do the two because I did have the interest then to do studio work, but I just focused more on visual journalism. Um, learned a lot while studying there and then immediately started an internship at the New York Daily News once I graduated. Um, So I want to say that I learned more in the field than I did in schools. (laughs) I felt like in schools they just kind of follow the book and they're just like, yeah, this is how you shoot with the camera. And here, you know, like along with journalism, they have like, you know, other forms of communication classes like media law and ethics and all that stuff to kind of just like make sure you're prepared before entering the world of journalism and print with copyright and laws and boundaries of all sorts. Um, But I feel like the most experience I have gotten is um, in the field, basically working Mm -hmm. and learning from my mistakes, learning from others, my peers, especially. I feel like I learned more as a photographer that I became today from just learning off of other photographers, really, instead of relying on education, you know, per se.
0: Mm-hmm. And then Natalie, you started uh, photography when you were 15.
2: Yeah. Um, so what was that journey? So I went to school in Long Island City. Um, it was um, a, kind of connected to LaGuardia Community College and we had access to the dark room there. And I remember, um, colleague a classmate took a picture of me and he came back a week later and it was a black and white print of me and that was the first time I ever seen myself in black and white and I thought to myself like this is something I need to learn and from that moment the moment I went into the dark room it just it changed my life um there was nothing else I could ever compared to the experience of like, having my hands in the chemistry and and, and holding a camera in my hands and just, you know, looking, having this this glass to look at the world through. And so um, I continued, uh, I did my undergrad um, focusing, uh, I went to Hunter and I focused on photography and then uh, I got my master's at City College. And that was an interdisciplinary program, which then kind of changed how, my photography um it, it changed my photography in general I went from being you know just a, a conservative purist black and white uh darkroom to then uh experimental and it's been such a fun journey
0: yeah I actually was always a lot more interested in writing and drawing when I was a little kid, but my father is a war photographer, at least he was for most of my childhood um, and long before that. And I was interested in digital photography, but I just gravitated more toward video in terms of his influences because Uh, It seems like more of a natural way to combine my love for words and images, Uh, but then as, as I went to college and just started doing more and more of my own thing, I got really into digital photography as a means of storytelling, but still often finding ways to combine it with words. Of course, I was highly, highly discouraged by professors to do anything in fine art or creative writing, even though I was studying those things. (laughs) So my first internship, not that I should complain, was at the Washington Post and it was very hard news, very, you will review thousands of images every morning and package slideshows and write captions kind of environment. but it was not at all conducive to uh, developing a voice, especially as a young woman in an extremely competitive uptight environment. Um, So Sean started to talk about the, (laughs) like the tension between education and hands-on experience. So I'm curious about both of you just what sort of uh, challenges did you find in more formal educational settings but also maybe who were some of the mentors that you had or or what were some of the opportunities that surprised you um, I know that I sometimes felt like my voice wasn't heard because I was a girl uh, but then once in a while someone would pull through and say no it's okay <laughs> what do you want to say
1: Well, like back to what you were saying about your experience with like in school and the Washington Post, I actually had professors who basically told me to change majors, like they were very bitter about the industry of journalism and journalism in general. And they were just like, there's no money in it. It's a dying industry. Get out what you still can. And then when I was an intern at the Daily News, I was told like, it was kind of like as a joke, but they're just like, you might as well go to medical school. Like, if you want to make money, go elsewhere. Like, it's like, I mean, it's no lie that this is a dying industry. Newspapers are constantly closing down because they're not selling print or anything like that. And that's how I kind of evolved into doing more of different variations of photography. Um, so it was just like, yeah, facing a lot of discouragements and, um, definitely in the beginning I felt like um because I was a young woman I was not giving the same opportunities as my male colleagues for instance um they kind of like put me with the cute fluffy um features like you know with kids and puppies and I'm just like wow okay thanks and they're just like well you're really good at taking these photos I'm like but I don't Want to take these photos all the time like only take these photos like yeah it's a nice break but (laughs) 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 my puppies but like I don't want to be known as the person who just photographs puppies (laughs) and so it was like you know a lot of trying to just prove myself to the point of actual physical exhaustion like working overtime and you know putting myself in certain situations that were hazardous basically or could possibly break laws so I mean I didn't break any laws I'm not saying that but um just to kind of like felt like there was more pressure to prove myself because I was a female photographer and you know it took a while I mean not that long but like um uh I don't know like I just remember my first photo editor who no longer works at the daily news but he assigned me a very grim story and he's like you be into this I was like, why? Because I wear all black all the time because that's all I own, black clothing. He's like, yeah. And I was just like, well, at least this is something different. Like I'll take grim and depressing anytime just to like prove that I can actually handle it. Because I had had other, you know, colleagues tell me that I wouldn't be able to make it in this industry. It would be too stressful. I would be too emotional or something like that. And I'm just like, you don't know me. You're just basically seeing this face and making assumptions really. So it, I want to say now I feel like I have established myself um, to gain the, res- not gain respect, but to have respect when I enter a room other than being automatically assumed I'm the intern or the assistant or not the lead photographer in a situation kind of thing. So I feel like I have del- felt enough confidence of the year because it was discouraging to you know, start off fresh and be told these things that, like, you know, whatever you do won't matter because you're not a man, um, so, yeah, just, like, it's a huge journey. I feel like I feel so old now (laughs) because I feel like finally I'm, like, comfortable where I am, so it took a long time for it, though.
2: (laughs) Natalie, (laughs) you want to respond to any of that? (laughs) Yeah, you know, There's a lot that resonates with me um, from what Sean was saying is when I did my, between high school and an undergrad, I, when I was doing a lot of work, I was lucky enough to have one of my professors um, champion me and really stand behind me when I didn't want to take cute little fluffy pictures. And for me, it was I, I didn't want to be I, it's not that there's obviously anything wrong with being classified as a woman, but I didn't want someone to look at my images and know my gender before um, they knew me and my story. And so for many years, I had this internal battle about the work that I was making through the camera like do if i photograph a baby automatically that's what's expected if i photograph a flower that's what's expected of me right and so i i didn't want to do that and i i began doing abstract photography to really just kind of blur out anything else and you'd have to really look at my work and think about it more so before you even considered who was behind the lens and um and I struggled a lot with making feminist work. It wasn't until I went to grad school that I kind of gave myself the permission to be a woman and be a photographer and tell my story and to use it to empower me and not put me down. And I, I did hear a lot of sexist comments when I, I began making um, feminist work. And I'd hear, um, I, there was a contemporary artist, uh, very big name, I won't give it away, but he came and gave me a studio visit And I had been doing um, gender studies, uh, nude gender studies, where I'd interview um, my subjects, male and female, um, while they were nude and I'd photograph them and we'd talk about gender. And and he came in and he saw some pictures of breasts and he's like, I'm sorry, I can't have a serious conversation when there's a picture of boobs there. And I'm like, you're in your forties, fifties and, you're a visual artist, like really, you can't have a conversation because there's a photograph of breasts behind me. Like that to me was just this kind of thing, like, well, maybe maybe we need to see more of this then. If that makes you uncomfortable and and, you know, you're in my space, you should take it as what it is. And we should have a discussion about this. And he's like, yeah, he's like, I just can't look over there. And, it, you know, and it was just, to me, it was mind boggling. So I did go and I, I, I met with my colleagues after. And I was like, well, what was, you know, your studio visit like with this artist? And, and the girls were all like, he just put me down, belittled me, made me feel like, you know, less of an artist, like he was very condescending. And I just, I knew that it wasn't just me and it wasn't just a picture of breasts that was, it was something deeper ingrained in him that he needs to uh, unpack.
0: Yeah, I I completely feel what you're saying, and and have had similar experiences. And I know, I I think it also took me until grad school to really get to that point where I just said, doesn't matter, bleep, I'm going to do it. (laughs) I'm going to make what I want to make. And if you think this looks girlish, or it's too feminist, or it's too womanly, or it's feminazi, or whatever, (laughs) I don't care. Uh, I'll do certain work that has to make money, because realistically, I have to pay the bills, but when I am creating work that's just for me, and that's for my creative expression, I'm going to do what I want to do. (laughs) All right, so sort of going on that same uh, topic, so do you think being a woman photographer, quote unquote, does influence the type of images you make, whether they're for commerce or for creative expression. And are there certain types of images that you actively try to make or even avoid making? Um, And you can even bring up any specific work or client situation where you've been asked to make a certain type of image, whether you wanted to or not.
1: Well, like the whole saying goes sex sells and having mostly male editors is kind of like a pressure, not really a pressure, but there's like a strong implication that for especially for feature stories, that the sexier the better. And I I'll admit that whenever I go to like a public event, like a big public event, I just look for the most attractive woman there to pose for a photo and just be like, This is the general shot, really. And it's like, no, it's because know this is what the editors wanted and you know it got like it was just like you know I don't know how to describe it not like an obviously annoying but you know they sent me and they're just like you just have a way with like getting the photos I'm like because I'm not a creepy man you know (laughs) and that's like really what it all comes down to they're just like you just have a way with what talking with women I just like speak to them as a person and you know especially like um going to these events and there's other male photographers there they are like most of them are creepy just to say like there are a lot of creepy dudes out there and a lot of them are photographers like when natalie was saying like you know the photographer being like i can't look at breasts i've experienced a lot of perverted photographers a lot of perverted editors and they're just like yeah i like doing what i do because it gets me to see this basically um so in my like comparison to like in the beginning, like this is when I like first started like an intern and then first year, second year and just trying to establish myself, get more work, get more assignments. So I was just making the editors happy. Um, so, yeah, it was like a lot of find the most attractive woman, find the one with the biggest breasts, basically, and like because that's what they like or one editor, I'm not going to name names. There's one editor who has had accusations against him, so it all makes sense at that point. I was just like, oh, all right, okay, it makes sense. that When he would come to me and compliment my photography, he'd be like, oh, I really like that photo that you took. And then news broke out that he has been accused of harassment, and I was just like, oh, okay. like It's just like a pattern there. But um Yeah, so it's like purposely looking out for that, but now I don't. Now I'm just like, you know, they know the work I make, like they're going to be happy whatever I give them now. Like I don't want to be too cocky about that, but um, like for instance, like my favorite parade to photograph is the Dyke March, which is like the day before the Pride Parade, and it's always so much fun to photograph that because it's just women and feminism, and you know, there are like there are people who don't have their shirts on because it is legal in new york to be bare breast and so it's whatever it should be whatever um but you know they i'm photographing them as is and they're like you know i'm being personable with them i'm not being creepy about it i actually talk to them instead they photographing them at a distance of walking away well, <laughs> some of the men do um but i remember the last time i photographed it which was i guess a couple years ago at this point now because of the pandemic um Um, It was like around the 50th anniversary of Stonewall. So it was like, you know, big energy, like, you know, I got new activists, old activists all marching together. And we marched all the way straight from like Bryant Park to Washington Square Park. And once everyone got to the fountain, they started ripping their clothes off and going into the fountain. They're swimming, they're splashing, and all that stuff. And I'm getting in the fountain with them. I'm like, this is fun, like it's hot outside. Everyone's like refreshing themselves in dirty fountain water. But of course there were um, creepy photographer guys, like male photographers who were just like, you know, trying to get as close as they can to them. And of course the women just screaming at them, go away, go away, that kind of thing. And also photographing like body painting artists like National Body Painting Day. And oh my God, I would get yelled at because I purposely put myself in between a perverted photographer and the subject. So it's like a female model who's just getting painted and a guy literally like shoving a camera like as close as he can to her vagina. Mm -hmm. And so I'm just like, I have to intervene. I have to protect these models because they're perverted guys. And so... I'm really going off here. Like I forgot what. That's okay. On on that (laughs) (laughs) now.
2: Natalie, bro.
1: Well, I guess like it's just like the whole like yeah like purposely making everything overly sexual for male gaze to now actually preventing other photographers from doing that. So I don't. uh, It's just like it's a habit that needs to change. Honestly, like sex doesn't sell. It just bugs the male eyes out. That's really all it does. Yeah, I don't
0: know. (laughs) <laughs> Natalie, what uh, similar or related experiences would you like to
2: share? Well, uh, everything that Sean was mentioning, its on the field, you experience it. You see the creepy guys that are constantly like, gawking at women attractive women or um you know just any woman in general that they want to get close to um and so i've always also have been the kind of uh, photographer that i'll intervene and 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 i'll be like i'm always courteous i ask for permission i'm not sneaky i don't have to use a telephoto lens i'm I, if you don't want me to be up close to you and get your picture i shouldn't be sneaking to get it i kind of have this feel Like, I think that, I think that, um, you know, uh, catching someone in their natural element without them, um, it's, it's fine, but you should always kind of, you know, have some kind of control, like let them know I did take this beautiful picture of you. Look at this, you know, um, I know a lot of creepy photographers who like, they, they like to do that from a distance and, and just watch and, and. I always feel a little uneasy about that because I wouldn't want to be in that position where someone's doing that to me. I always like to, I like to treat my subjects the way I want to be treated. And that's, since I've been a photographer, I've always, that's been my my rule of operation has been just always treat anyone that you're photographing the way you would want to be treated if you want to be sneaky about it at least then fess up to it because at the end of the day can i really use this image um freely if i'm afraid that i don't have permission from that person Mm -hmm. Um, but I, i think that creepy guys with cameras they're an abundance in the photo world no matter whether it's commercial photojournalism or even fine art there there's always an excuse for a creepy guy to have a camera and um recently in one of the uh facebook groups that i'm part of um there's been an article about how uh, a certain photo agency likes to um stand behind white men that go to third world countries and photograph women and children, the vulnerable people in vulnerable situations, and they sell them. And the tags that they're using are, it, it's just, there, there is, <laughs> there's no morality behind this agency that does these things. And they, you know, they continue to pay these photographers to do, to get these shots that are just her- horrendous. And so for me, I I like to read on this and know where I stand and draw my lines um, for the kind of work that I support and that I can stand behind and what I can't. And so, but the thing is, most people don't like to talk about subjects that are uncomfortable in the photography Mm -hmm. world. And so that's, that's where I think feminists are really important because we, (laughs) we're here we're loud we want to make our points and you're going to hear us whether you want to or not and so if um you know who's going to stand up for women um besides women
0: yeah no that that's an excellent point that it's not just uh male photographers being insensitive about sexuality and gender issues um in a creepy perverted sense it's also about a lack of sensitivity when it comes to vulnerable subjects and that can be mother and child uh, pictures even in New York City it doesn't have to be in a developing country but yeah that that's a whole subject in and of itself poverty <laughs> porn and white male photographers also dominate that field
2: <laughs> I, I think they dominate play. most fields um, that yeah is- <laughs> So, to, to art and even outside of art but if you look at art anytime that you're going to any show you count the number of white male photographers in comparison to women or um male photographers of color they're you're always going to be outnumbered yeah
0: well and i also wanted to uh elaborate on sean's point about standing up for yourself and your beliefs uh, at the beginning of your career versus when you're slightly more established because there's a huge difference between um, being allowed to speak up when you're 18, 19, 20 years old versus when you're closer to 30 or or when you're older. Um, And I know that I was in similar experiences where I, I wish I had had the courage to say certain things or I wish that when I did have the courage, someone even listened to me (laughs) and didn't just write me off as some young woman who's just starting out. And what does she know? She's probably going to get married in a year and have a baby and be done with all this anyway.
1: like yeah, because of like the social norms and expectations of women in society they 're just like that 's why we 're not taken as seriously because it 's just like well you know you 're eventually going to meet a guy and have a baby and start a family, and that's no, that 'll be the end of it <laughs> not be the end of it like I you know not to like you know say whoever decides to do that with their life is wrong it 's not it 's their decision, and that 's great, but I hate it you know, especially when you know, you're starting off in a career that's so heavily male dominated and you have like all these men who like, are like just scummy characters and, you know, agencies and editors and so on, defending them being like, well, they make great work. I don't care what they do behind closed doors kind of thing. But God forbid, if you're a young woman starting off in this career and you make one error, that's it, you're done. You're like deemed like um, unfit for this career. And so it's like, yeah, that's like kind of like what I was like thinking back on like what I just mentioned, just like having that lack of confidence in the beginning and meeting other colleagues who are the same age as me and they act like they own the world. And I'm just thinking I have so much on my shoulders, just from expectations, like what men expect me to be and then you know, expectations of being a woman engaging in a career. And it's just like, I wish I had that confidence, but it's impossible basically if, you know, we're still treated this way of being like incompetent really.
0: Yeah. that That's the other thing. It's right. It's like a, Seen as us having a lack of intelligence and creativity, that we don't have the artistic genius, we don't have the news judgment, we, whatever kind of photography it might be, we, we can't do it unless it's puppy photography and baby photography.
1: <laughs> it's like we can't use our own experiences to pursue our own careers because they're just seen as too emotional. Like, oh, you're just overreacting, that's why you're passionate about it, or something like that of the sort. Yeah, and that emotion is a bad thing. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Yeah, like, you know, I want to be close to my subjects. And it's like, it really, like, it upsets me when I do like photograph, like, you know, a person who is the trending story of the day. And of course, that means they're going to be hounded by other members of the press, video, photographers, reporters, and so on. And they actually tell me, they're just like, wow, it's actually nice to actually talk to somebody instead of just being told what to do, ask questions no communication whatsoever. besides that and like them just feeling like they're put on a platform that they are uncomfortable being in and like you know especially like talking to like women who have been like assaulted and are in vulnerable positions already and they're uncomfortable as is talking about their experience and just actually being talked to like a human being rather than like say a man being like so what'd you do to get in this situation like what did you do wrong like that's like the first thing that's like always (laughs) brought up what did you do wrong and it's just like no I'm just like this is terrible I'm so sorry this happened to you you know if any time you want to stop this I'll stop I'm not going to force you to do anything you don't want so it's also that whole you know understanding consent which you know sadly men just don't understand like mainly don't understand now it's like you know it's just consent, consent, and they're just like, but there's like gray areas. I'm like, if there are no gray areas. Yes <laughs> or no? There is no maybe, and there's nothing like that. <laughs>
0: so, what advice do you have for female photographers who might just be getting started, whether they're. Young, they're teenagers or young adults, or women who are really just beginning to explore photography, change of career, change of hobby, new interests maybe because of the pandemic, maybe something else. Mm-hmm. Uh, what would you tell them about being a woman uh, and dealing with men and some of these sexist notions that can also come from other women?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, like that's like the other uh, other thing to that, cause and, you know, starting out, I was hoping that any other female photographer that I would encounter would be, you know, encouraging for me and like, you know, have that common ground with somebody. But because this is a male-dominated field, most, I felt like more, uh, what's the word? Um, like alien Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. Like, because there's usually, mostly men, at like an event, for instance, and if I see one woman there, to me, I'm like, oh, thank God, there's another woman here. But maybe for her, especially if she's older than me, she goes, oh, great, this is my replacement. You know, so mm. like that competition that women are put in, in a male dominated area, and especially like people of color, you know, because they are the diversity, <laughs> and they're just like, you know, being competed against each other. And, you know, it's just very discouraging. So, I mean, for new um, female photographers, especially, I have um, guests taught at NYU photojournalism course that a colleague of mine is teaching in because he wanted a younger person's perspective on the industry because he's way older than me. Um, Not to be like, he's old, but you know, it's just like new generations, new trends and all that stuff. Um, I basically told them, take as much advice as you can, take in any criticism, good or bad. Criticism is always helpful. Learn from it. Don't be like standoffish about it. Don't like be like, oh, I don't care about this criticism. But I told them point blank, you will experience sexism in this industry, but don't be discouraged by it. Like I have been told (laughs) just randomly, especially yesterday especially there was like an older guy who's just like i hope you get good shots i hope oh yeah you're definitely gonna get a good shot in that position and i'm like get away from me (laughs) you know he just like this older man who was literally pissing off everybody because he constantly got into everyone's shot like he was just an old man who didn't know what he was doing inexperienced it's always the most inexperienced men who tell me what i should do (sighs) And I had, huh. like, I remember I was at another, yeah, it's like, oh, like, it's just, oh, it makes your, like, I'm, my skin's crawling out because I hate it so much. But there was an, an event, and, you know, I'm there, um, because the Daily News was I think, promoting it at the time, and, or a partnership. So they're like, of course, we need a Daily News photographer there. And here's Sean, she does events, so she can do this event. And I'm there, and there's other male photographers there. I think I was the only female there. And um, this one guy wouldn't leave me alone and he was just like, you should definitely go to school for photography. And I was like, I don't need to go to school for photography. He's like, you'll definitely benefit by going to school for photography. Like, and you should give me your emails because, you know, without my connection, you wouldn't be able to get into school. Like, I needed him, and I just met this guy. I don't know his name, and he's just like, you should give me your information so I can get you into a photography school. No, no, no. And of course, I look over. He, I'm shooting Canon. He's shooting Nikon. He had the auto setting on. Uh, <laughs> he's not shooting manual whatsoever. He had the pop-up flash, and I'm like, ah, uh, Oh my god. Ah. Okay,
0: okay. I'm gonna cut you short just so we have Natalie share some of her advice. Yes, Natalie being like for (laughs) the new female photographer who's trying to navigate this world.
2: (laughs) So my advice I think I always like to think about any advice that I would give myself as a younger artist or younger photographer understanding, because I, I don't feel like I got enough. I didn't have enough mentors and I didn't have enough women, um, guiding me because there's always this feel of competition. This is going to be the one that replaces me or she can get, you know, uh, she's younger, she might get this. And, um, and I still get a lot of that kind of, uh, from, 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 I I have found my group of women that empower me and support me. But when I go away from my group, I do get this kind of feel from other women that are like, oh, she's just young and she doesn't, you know, she's trying to be where, you know, where the big girls are. And it's like, come on now. (laughs) Like, there's no need for all that. But uh, I I think that finding your voice and, and sticking to it, I think that speaking up for yourself is one of the most important things. I also think with that being said, accepting criticism is important. Whether you uh, disagree or not, you always have to hear out your your critics and the critiques about your work and let that process and develop. And you can even, you know, one of the worst things that I hear from younger artists is when I'm doing a studio visit or a portfolio review uh, of work, and they're not letting me finish what I need to say. And I'm like, well, you want in my opinion, and you're not even letting me get it out there. And I try to be respectful with my criticism, because I I know how hard it is to get criticism. But I think that listening and taking what you need, and then getting rid of the rest, just take what you need from that. It doesn't mean if someone tells you, oh, all of this is garbage, but this one thing is good, doesn't mean that you have to take that whole you know only the good part listen to what the bad is make of it what you will and, and then continue um and I think it's such an important thing people looking at your work and and talking about it that's the most important part really um I, I work in solitary in my studio most of the time so for me I always welcome any studio visit, anyone that wants to talk about my work. I welcome it because that's the point of making the work, isn't it, really? To, to have conversations and dialogues about it and learn and, and research about um, what, you're, what you're working on. I think those are just like the most important things. Research, stick your, through your guns, listen to the criticism, and, and, and put yourself out there. It, even It's so uncomfortable to do it, but put yourself out there.
0: Yeah, definitely. You have to be willing to self-promote and make new connections, too. Unfortunately, it's not just about beautiful or interesting images. (laughs) We wish. (laughs) We wish.
2: Yeah.
0: Okay, so did the pandemic change your photography or your approach to photography in any way? And what kinds of images are you making
2: now? So for me, the pandemic um, the pandemic changed the way that I work a bit because I'm, I'm home (laughs) all the time and I am also a new mom. So, um, my child just turned a year old and I, for me documenting this, um, this process of becoming uh, a new mom and an artist has been really interesting. I look at it as I have a tool that I can use to tell my story once, uh, you know, once I figure out what the story is, I'll have the images to go with it, but it's constantly developing. And I think that I was afforded a really wonderful thing with this pandemic, you know, for a lot of people, they're like stuck at home and it's horrible for me. I was dreading the the time when my maternity leave was up and I had to return to work and I'd have to leave my child. So for me, I was given this wonderful time to be able to my studios in the back of my house so I can work and I could be a mom and I didn't have to choose. And that was an amazing thing. So I, I took it for what it's worth. And I, I'm so happy with it at the moment, being able to, to work and, and figure out what I'm supposed to be doing as a parent.
1: I feel like for me, it's like the complete opposite. I feel like, because especially it's just like all these events are canceled and that's like a huge part of my income. Um, so it was a lot of me just staying at home, hoping I get work. Um, I was furloughed for the summer, so I really did nothing. I mean, it was like a nice break for me because it was actually me being able to see my family more often, obviously social distancing or taking precautions and stuff, but spending time with my partner. Um, We adopted a cat who is, I don't know if you can hear him. He's meowing because I shut him out. (laughs) And um, so it was like for me, especially because weddings, especially, it really takes a damper on your social life because it's always on weekends. And you don't really see anybody ever because everyone's working during the week. And I'm not really working during the week. Um, So it was like a nice break from basically eight years of working six to seven days a week to basically working no days a week. Um, but now that I'm working again and being booked for weddings for this coming year, it has really affected my level of trust in people. Like, I feel like before I was more personable with people, more engaging, and now I'm hesitant because, of course, health reasons, but also moral reasons, say if they don't want to follow necessary precautions, wearing a mask or sanitations or anything like that. And it's just like, you know, this pandemic has really, because, you know, like with any artist, there are low points, you know, you feel not confident in your work and you don't know what you're doing with yourself. You're thinking about starting a new career and, you know, something to hopefully make you more happy. But um, I don't know. I just feel like this whole year has been just so up and down with emotions for me. And I guess now I feel like a little bit more balanced um, and hopeful for the future that I feel like more inspiration is coming to me now. I, like I'll admit that like over the summertime I felt no drive for anything. I just wanted to stay in bed. I felt like there was no reason to get out of bed. And um, and you know, I feel like people just need to accept that because I feel like more people are just down on themselves for letting them get to that point. Um, but I feel like with that experience has inspired me to start new projects for myself Um, to like further pursue those kind of emotions and get starting on making my own studio in my own apartment um, instead of relying on you know clients hiring me making work and using that as an excuse for projects but um, yeah I'm just like hopeful for the future now and um, hopefully we're going to get out of this pandemic um, and just kind of I don't want to say go back to normal life because normal life wasn't all that PG to begin with. So, (laughs) I mean, just to be honest, like, you know, people being like, I want to go back to the way it was. I'm like, wasn't that great to begin with? Hopefully, this is an awakening for a lot of people and will hopefully create new perspectives on just humanity in general, basically. So, I'm looking forward to how things play out, especially with public events. Um, or people in generally in public and um, how they interact with each other and hopefully more compassion out of that. Really,
0: yeah. I wanted to echo what Sean uh, you were just saying about turning down some work too and and not trusting. I
1: mean, it turned down, yeah, it was it was mostly weddings. I turned down because mm-hmm. I didn't feel comfortable with it because it was mostly because I felt like the clients weren't taking this pandemic seriously and really through this year it was me putting myself first like before I would just take whatever work was given to me and be happy about that and be like I'm working that means I'm happy but now I have a huge new perspective on life and I'm just like no I am important and if I'm not comfortable doing something I should stick to that
0: yeah yeah I mean like Natalie was saying too, though, I also have felt that there have been some small blessings. It's just been this constant back and forth, very emotional, right? This huge roller coaster, like blessings in that, okay, I have more quiet time. I can focus more on studio work, work that I want to make. And sometimes there will be a monetary outlet for it. And other times there won't. Other times it will just maybe be for the long haul and we'll see what comes of it. Uh, But I also, you know, I didn't make as much money as I wanted to, but I was also lucky that I still made enough money to be comfortable and do more than just survive. (laughs) I'm also lucky that I'm married. And at the times that my husband was furloughed, I actually had more work. (laughs) And that when I did Turn down work, I always felt that it was for the right reasons, that I didn't trust that someone said um, conditions would be a certain way. Or sometimes the turnarounds, because a, a lot of the more commercial work I do is writing or editing driven, like photo editing. So sometimes I just didn't, especially if I had <laughs> been. Uh, like, hanging out in bed a lot and had, like, my quarantine depression, like, oh, the past couple days, I haven't had a lot of energy, maybe I don't want to suddenly edit 100 images (laughs) and write all of these captions and have them ready for a social media campaign. You know what? Maybe I will forfeit that money and just, (laughs) just relax and... I know I can count on money from something else instead that maybe is not so stressful or maybe is due at a later date. <laughs> it's uh, give, I, And I understand that that is all a privilege to be able to turn down work too. But yeah. like you said as well, prioritizing yourself and prioritizing uh, your family or your partner or just having as healthy of a life as you can make for yourself during this time is also important, and it feeds into your art-making. Yeah. Um, it's hard to make art if you are starving or depressed all the time, or just deal- battling other things.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's definitely a privilege to turn down work because I can imagine so many people putting, put it in a position where they cannot afford that, and I feel so sorry for them. Um, but I just like now reflecting on like my past years working and just feeling like I had to constantly work. I had to constantly prove myself to now being in this point where I'm just like, you know what? I'm putting myself first, you know, I'm not too worried or too pressured to, um, make a point, like as a professional photographer, I don't need to be out there photographing a pandemic if I don't feel comfortable doing it kind of thing. And especially since I've seen like so many of my colleagues who did work during this pandi- pandemic, a lot of them got furloughed, but a lot of them did work, a lot of them got sick, a lot of them got exposed, and that really frightened me. And you know, the past year I was in and out of the doctor's office for respiratory infections constantly because I was overworking myself. So I was just like, I don't, i like, nope, this is where I draw the line. I'm thinking of myself, I'm thinking about my family. This is like, you know, the privilege I have, and I'm taking advantage of it, and you know there's nothing wrong with acknowledging you have privilege and, you know, being able to afford doing something like that.
2: I also think that the pandemic has forced me to, and being furloughed, I'm an art educator and I was furloughed, um, last March, right. When my maternity leave was up Mm -hmm. and being furloughed forced me to, pushed myself into places that I wasn't comfortable doing before, like selling work, like little prints and things like that. Before I was like, I don't want to do that. <laughs> and then now it's like, someone's like, oh, well, how much for this? And I'm like, oh, well, let's get to it. Now I have, you know, I, I know how to operate this um, selling of my work individually without a gallery and, and things like that. And I think it, it's been, I, I kind of was the one that was standing in my own way. And it took, you know, a pandemic to force me to get out of my own way. And, you know, you're not making the money that you were making before. And now you need to continue making work and making money. And now you have to figure out the formula for how you're going to do it.
0: Yeah, that's a great point. And it's something I've heard many female artists of all kinds say during this period is that They have explored (laughs) e-commerce for the first time, really, or they've thought about different ways to put their visuals in books, on T-shirts, on whatever. (laughs) Just uh, finding something outside of the gallery grind, or outside of the the teaching classes in person every day grind, or the going out on a news assignment every day grind, and just oh, how can I repurpose some of these images? Uh, or edit them and give them a new home. That's all the time we have, folks. Thanks for listening to the Badass Lady Folk podcast. I'm your host, Christine Sloan Stoddard. You can find out more about me at worldofchristinestoddard.com and more about Quailbell Press and Productions at quailbell.com. And if you really want to watch the original video for the Zoom conversation, go ahead. It's on Quail Bell Magazine. Find the links in the show notes. Tune in next time.